Hello, and welcome to Read Scholars Live. Uh, this is our podcast where we talk about current health equity issues, and this will be a special part of our series where we're focusing on COVID-19 and uh, health disparities and issues that relate to health equity. Uh, I am Dr. Mary Fleming. I'm your host and current president of Read Scholars, and today I am joined by Dr. Monique Nugent. She is currently an associate director um, and hospitalist of South Shore Hospital in South Weymouth, Weymouth uh, Massachusetts. She completed her medical degree and residency training in California at Loma Linda University Medical Center. She is passionate about delivering high quality care for all patients, especially those who are medically vulnerable um, in our country. So with that, I will uh, turn it over to Monique. She can kind of tell us where she is now, what she's doing, and um, fill in anything else she wants us to know about her. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, so my day-to-day -day as a hospitalist and an administrator at this point is really about helping the health system build the infrastructure for the surge, right? We hear about the surge, the surge is coming, surge. all these patients are coming. Um, and I can say that like we're starting to see an increased number of patients and how do we as a health system meet that need? Right, so this is going to be a very extreme need, very much an outlier to anything that we've seen. Right, as we've seen in New York, the number of beds, the number of ventilators are one thing, but the number of people to care for the patients and run those ventilators, keep everything moving, are another thing. And how do you build the infrastructure to make sure you can support those things? Um, and that's really what my day to day is focused on. Um, when I'm not seeing patients. When I'm seeing patients, I'm doing hospital medicine work like all my other hospitalists. Um, I have treated patients who uh, infected and suspected, um, I should say suspected and infected <laughs> with COVID. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing the, you know, reading the guidelines, talking to infectious disease, talking to family members, um, doing all that work that, that we do to help patients navigate and get better through a process and a, a, an illness that we are still understanding um, what we don't understand <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. and learning along the way. So that's really what my day-to-day -day is, is built on. And I try and squeeze a few moments out here and there, <laughs> kind of nonstop <laughs> um, for myself. And um, for instance, I've been able to work from home for the past um, day and a half, so extra half day of not doing anything. That's that is much needed, and I think as much as we talk about um, caring for others during this time, we've also been trying to focus on self care and making sure that we're taking uh, good care of ourselves so we can continue to take good care of others through uh, this pandemic. And um, one of the things that we were hoping to talk about, and I think uh, it's important to you as you're continuing to see patients on the front line, as we talk about what um, essential workers are um, in the course of the healthcare front, um, but also uh, the other essential workers that have been highlighted over the course of this pandemic um, is part one and in part two on how that influences um, health disparities. So we've noticed in the, the media over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about that the minority populations in this country seem to be highly, um, more highly affected and dying at a higher rate from COVID-19 and trying to figure out why that is. And so um, there has been some discussion that because 
more of the essential workers um, when we talk about bus drivers and um, uh, cashiers at the grocery store and delivery drivers and and many other professions, just to name a few, um, may have a higher population um, that correlates with the minority community. That might be a reason, but um, but how does that then interplay to day-to-day -to -day interactions and, and what can we can we do anything about it, I guess, is really the question. So um, I'll let you get, give your thoughts on one or all of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, it was, um, what we were just talking about that, um, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, like I think everybody else is, when you see uh, a virus um, that's killing a large number of minority people in comparison. Um, for me, it was, it took a moment or a breath away, I should say. And I had to sit down and really start thinking. And something that keeps coming back to me over and over again is essential. What is an essential worker, right? You, you see the news and you see that a large number of people who work for the um, New York City subway have passed away, right? Um, you saw a bus driver um, somewhere here on the East Coast that was highlighted, highlighted having passed away grocery store workers getting sick. Um, there was a recent uh, outbreak noted in, uh, what was a, a pork manufacturing plant? Right. In um, one of the Dakotas. One of the Dakotas, yeah. Um, and it just keeps coming back to me over and over again that these are people who are exposed to a ton of people and we have now deemed those people as essential, right? We are now saying that as a society, we need people to go out there and get the buses moving, the food on the table. Um, in the hospital, you have people who are, a large number of people tend, oh, excuse me, a large number of minorities um, tend to be in environmental services, right? Very, very necessary in a mm -hmm. hospital to keep everything clean. Um, and so the news and just seems to be that these are the people who are getting sick and these are the people who are dying. And so I, I started thinking about what does essential mean? Um, and it, does essential mean essentially, excuse me to use that, that word again, um, being exposed to more and more people over and over again. It seems to me what that means, mm -hmm. right? Um, it doesn't really seem, I went to the bank the other day uh, Mary and they had this lady was like in another building. I didn't even know this setup was possible <laughs> for the bank, you know, yeah. but she's, she's deemed essential, but she's removed. She's able mm -hmm. to be removed from me in my car. I'm not even allowed to get into the, the building for the bank. Um, but everybody else is exposed. Right. Right. And um, these tend to be jobs that um, a large number of minority people tend to do. What is our value for these jobs? Mm -hmm. What is our value going to be when all of this is over? I think we've proven as a society that um, in what we pay them and how we treat them, um, that essential doesn't really correlate to money, doesn't really correlate to status. Um, but now does essential now mean disposable? Does essential now mean that we're willing to put you at risk, you know? And I know that people are going to say, well, minority populations tend to have more comorbidities, right? Um, we've heard that. Um, I, I think we even heard our certain general 
uh, say something along those lines about drugs and alcohol, right? Um, but those are easy cop-outs, I think, right? Um, nobody, he, he didn't mention the fact that the teachers who were delivering food to kids um, through New York City and other places in the country are getting sick, right? Uh, and those people are not spending at least the full time that they're there that day doing drugs and alcohol, right. right? These are people who are caring for our children. These are people who are keeping our society moving. Um, and do we really value them to be able to give them the protection, you know? Um, and, and what is that going to mean when all of this is done? Um, and so for me, it, that's, when I think about this, this is a thing that I keep coming back to over and over again is, um, are, you know, are we going to continue to see a disproportionate number of minority people dying because they are forced to be exposed? Right. Yeah. So some yeah. people have said like, well, I have a paycheck. I hear that, you know, well, at least I'm still working. I'm still getting paid. Um, and that's very true. I will never, ever discount that. Right. I'm still working, right? Very necessary. Um, but in those spaces that those people are working, how are they being protected? What, what PPE are they being offered? If that's mm -hmm. not being offered, what allowances are they being made? You know, are they able to come in with a home-fashioned mask? You know, or right. do their jobs deem that, like, unpalatable in some way, you know? So um, that, that's the question for me when I talk about, to myself about the health equities of coronavirus. You know, um, I think the health equities of coronavirus are massive. Yes, <laughs> indeed, Obviously. indeed. Um, so many you know, this, is, this, is the, this is the part that keeps coming back to me over and over again. Um, and being a New Yorker, um, you know, born and raised in New York, um, in Westchester and around in the Bronx, um, I know that those quarters are smaller. You know, what does sheltering in place mean? I think that um, some people very much romanticize this, you know, being on quarantine and you can make funny memes about it mm -hmm. and sing to people off of your balcony, um, you know, but in places where, you know, because it is a city, people do live in much smaller qu quarters, you know, on top of each other. Um, and that's great. That's how they've been able to, live their life and build their society and their sister lives down the block and it's community, right? Mm -hmm. um, a community I'm very familiar with. Um, but there's, where's the six feet? Exactly. <laughs> right. The six feet looks very different in um, the Bronx than it does like in some other suburban areas, um, you know, and being quarantined in your bedroom um, if your bedroom is shared with one or two other people, or maybe more, yeah. or maybe more, what does, what, what is that? What is the, the feasibility of that? Right. You know, um, uh, and you know, I, I care for a large number of elderly patients, you know, nursing homes. Mm -hmm. We keep hearing about these outbreaks in nursing homes over and over again. Um, but nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities are, you know, also close quarters. Some of them are two room beds per room, right? Mm -hmm. How do we support those facilities to support 
their residents through this. And the people who work there are essential, right? Um, and what is the PPE situation in those nursing homes? You hear about right. big hospitals, you know, they get these huge donations and the highlights, right? But our skilled nursing facilities, all of our post-acute care facilities in the smaller parts of the country, um, what is their PPE situation? What is their plan for if somebody gets sick? Exactly. You know, if one of my colleagues gets sick, we have a plan. There are this person will come from this clinic and this person <laughs> will come on Tuesday, okay. you know. Um, but if anyone has visited a nursing home, you know that they're sparsely staffed to begin with, mm -hmm. you know, and if somebody gets sick there, what is the plan, you know? Um, and those are, the, those are the things that keep coming back to me over and over again. Like when all this is said and done, if it is ever, ever said and done, how do we build a support system for the people we deemed essential? What is the value that we hold to them? Or are we still going to consider them disposable? Because at this point, sometimes, to me, that's what it comes across as. The other the thought I had while you were talking, and not just who is essential um, and how are we treating them, but um, when we talk about environmental factors, how are essential workers getting back and forth to work, right? From everything from they may be using um, public transportation. So we talked about the subway, but the bus. Um, and so you're, you're being exposed in your day job, but just getting to your day job. When we talk about these large uh, mm -hmm. apartment complexes or housing complexes, we're talking about getting on very small elevators and touching buttons or getting in stairwells and touching um, the rails going up the stairs. Um, shared laundry spaces is the other thing I talked about. So, you know, we talk a lot about the healthcare workers. Well, you know, when you get home, take off your clothes and wash them immediately. Well, that makes a lot of sense if you have a washer and dryer in your right. living area, right? Um, <laughs> right? And you can afford detergent and you can, you know, all of this stuff. But, you know, if you are, you know, working on minimum wage and you're living with a whole bunch of people, and doing extra laundry may or may not be feasible. You know, how are you, you know, can you really um, abide by all the rules that we've set place? Not because you don't want to, but because there's not necessarily a, a, an economical or just efficient way for you to do it, depending on your, your living circumstance. And, and are we addressing, are we giving guidelines to everybody or are we giving guidelines to the affluent, right? And so, um, you know, it's another, you know, thought is, is how we continue to frame the conversation and, and change the narrative of um, why, you know, minority populations of black and brown people or vulnerable populations, whichever word we want to use at the, at the time, are getting the, the disease at a higher rate and dying at a higher rate. Um, and what are the underlying factors that are unrelated to the color of their skin and more related to the, the, the structure and processes that are happening in the country that are, are putting us at more um, increased risk. Um, yeah, this, this whole situation has really brought to, to me, you know, you think you understand how interdependent we all are on each mm -hmm. other. Uh, and I was telling you before we started um, that I have a really wonderful babysitter from our day daycare center who comes uh, and stays with my girls in the days. Um, 
because when daycare closed, um, you know, it wasn't a hundred percent unexpected, but it's still a jolt to the system because right. you, as a working parent, uh, you build your life around certain supports. Um, so that closed and I thought I had a plan and that plan, our first plan fell through and I literally could not work and care for my children. It got to the point where I had to send my kids to stay with some family members for two weeks while I got a plan together. Um, so to tell me that she is not essential, <laughs> I, I, would, exactly. I would fight you tooth and nail because she's <laughs> keeping my family together. And that's the thing that's helping, one of the things that are helping me get through this, you know? Um, and so really, I think of all the different ways we touch each other um, and, and the glue of society and, and, and what, is, what is the weight that we're going to give to all of these things, you know? Um, mm. Our... I, our patients with disabilities, that's another group that's very dependent on other people, right. um, intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. Um, and I would hate for someone to say, well, there, that was a pre-existing condition why somebody, you know, who is bed bound was unable to get better mm. uh, instead of looking and saying, well, this person really depends on this system. And this system was not something that protected them well enough from the infection, right? Uh, I think it's very easy for, for the medical society to put pre-existing condition, comorbid condition, you know, elderly, medically yeah. frail. Um, <laughs> we, have, we have a slew of catchphrases for it, right? Um, but this is an infectious process, you know? Uh, and so in theory, if you don't come in contact with that infectious process, um, you, you're, you're not gonna get it. So how can we protect people and looking at the systems that are built and how we can protect people in those systems? Um, because yeah, I would, I would hate for at the end of this, the conversation to turn around and say like, well, everyone who died was old. So duh. <laughs> right? right. Cause we've heard some people say these things already. Yeah. Um, or, you know, oh, well that was, you know, that was high risk, whatever. Mm, that's easy and lazy. Um, and I would hope that we can be better than that. I agree. I agree. And I, I think with that, we'll kind of, sum up for today, but I thought I'd ask you in closing to give us one or two things. Um, one, is there anything we can do better right now? Um, and two, at the end of this, um, what's the one thing that you, you hope we learn? Um, the number one thing I think that we can do better is listen to reasonable people and facts. Um, you'd think that would be easy to do <laughs> but yes I hear you I hear you I know I know um, like uh, it, it's just so disheartening to me when like somebody calls me and they're like Monique well did you know that no one who drinks orange juice gets it you know like right. okay stop <laughs> you know um, this is not new in that we've known how infection works right? We know how people pass infection on to each other. So listen to the facts and the reasonable people. Um, it, it is so easy to get caught into the anxiety of it. Um, I know for myself, 
I was telling my husband that I felt like we were preparing for some, some kind of invasion. Like I had this mm. low level anxiety. Um, every day you go to work, we talk about the number of beds we need, the number of providers that we need, where are we going to put people, how much PPE we need. Um, and it just, it started to make me feel like I was in some like V-Day movie and the beaches were going to get stormed, right? right? But there's, you don't know, there's no person running at you. There's no bomb coming from the sky. So there's, it's, this is a thing that's just out there and it's happening. And, and I really had to, you know, take a moment and say like, that's not helping. (laughs) That's not helping anything, you know? And so I try really hard with my friends and family to be very reasonable um, and give facts and, you know, talk about washing your hands and covering your face. And please, if you think you are sick, please go get tested. Please. Um, you know, I, I hear often, well, they said I didn't need to be tested. If you think you are sick, there is a way to get a test. Yeah, please find that way to get tested. Um, because it also helps with the understanding the data and, and what this disease is doing, where it's right. going and who it's affecting, you know, um, and so really, I know that's like in today's age, easy to say, hard to do, but like yeah. listen to the facts and reasonable people take a deep breath um, and, and try to participate in the least anxious way possible, <laughs> which is hard. It's hard. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I do. Oh, what do I wish we would learn from this? Um, what we were talking about, I, I wish we would learn the value of others Mm. the you know the 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 truth in that there is nobody who goes through their day without somehow depending on the kindness of strangers you may you may not know it it may be some it guy in the back who's you know i don't know what it people do they made a code on something So you could do this great Zoom meeting. <laughs> that is very true. It's yes. someone you may never meet, uh, you may never think of, but but we are all so interconnected and dependent on each other. And if we could stop and think of the value, um, my mother always says, every patient is somebody's someone. Yes. Right? And everybody in the world is someone else that's some that's loved so if we could just take that moment and try to be nicer that would make my day i love it i think that's the perfect way to conclude this episode um where can people find you you have any social media handles or websites or blogs or anything you want to share with us today um i have a twitter and i'm not the best at it but it's- <laughs> <laughs> you can think- send it to me i can put it in the list of notes yeah it's a <laughs> Dr. Mo's best um, is my Twitter handle. Um, I'm starting to get into Instagram and stuff. So when I do, I'll definitely circle back. Um, <laughs> but right now, if, if you feel like sending it out, a tweet out to Dr. Mo's best, um, I don't know. I might remember the password and log in and tweet back. <laughs> but no, um, just think of me and all the work that you do and that'll make me happy. I like it. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us. Um, Good luck on the continued fight. I wish you well and safety into your family and we'll talk soon. Thank you.